So speaking of that, of pain, and there's also frustration. The Psalms show us people praying out of frustration. Psalmists will ask things like, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? I summarize that as saying as the psalmist asking God, what are you waiting for? The, the psalms give us ability to address these really these frustrations of heart of wondering why are things just getting worse? Why why is this wickedness going on? Why is the church staying small and weak? Just why am I experiencing these troubles in my life, these are just afflictions and trials. The Psalms help you give voice to that. But not just a prayer of frustration, a prayer of anguish. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night. But I find no rest. My summary here was the psalmist will ask God, God, don't you care about what's happening to me? See, the Bible gives you ability to address that feeling. I'm not primarily arguing today that what the Bible is telling us is that it's okay to doubt and to be angry with God and to, to, to argue with him, but in a sort of a sense in which you read Psalms, it does really appear sometimes the psalmists are arguing with God and just without any filter, just screaming out, help me, I am in the deepest pit. Can you bring me out? And I would also remind you that, that there is deep significance with the, the Christ-centeredness of the Psalms, and then that you know, if you know your Bible, that that was the cry of our Lord on the cross. But, it, just in case we just get carried away with saying, well, we're going to argue with God, it has to be tempered, because there are also, the Psalms have this pattern of moving from expressing being honest about the problems. We're actually bringing them to God, not pretending like, oh, well, God knows. No, God wants you to bring your problems to his throne, and then you can, once you've done that, you can end your prayers in faith. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. From Psalm 17. From Psalm 18. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. From Psalm 56. You have count, kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The psalmist can say of God, in the midst of frustration and anguish, I know my God loves me, 
and will keep his promises. He will protect me. He will deliver me. And I, I've always found that verse from Psalm 56, 8. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? So moving that you have that image that God takes the, the believer, believer's tears. If he, he takes your tears and it's as though he's bottling them up and he's writing down all those problems in his book. Of course, we know those are great images because God doesn't need a literal bottle and doesn't need a literal book. He knows all things. And that's the great comfort there. God knows all things. He knows your troubles. Therefore, find comfort. Seek your faith to be built up from him by bringing those troubles, those tears, those conflicts to him. Thus far, we, the, the Psalms show us how God cares about our problems and therefore gives us guidance in prayers of anguish, prayers of frustration, prayers of faith. Now the Psalms also show us how to really pray for those in power. First, we would note that we are to pray about the reality of bad people who cause pain. The Psalms are realistic about that. I hope you saw that in our reading in Psalm 64 about those people who wet their tongues like swords and have bitter words aimed like arrows. They have evil purpose. They skulk around setting traps. They have... They go searching out injustice so much that they can say with satisfaction, we have accomplished a diligent search. They are, the Psalms are realistic about bad people causing real pain. And they are also realistic about bad people in power causing pain. So a note... Psalm 82 says that God has taken place in the divine council. In the midst of God's, he holds his judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Who's it talking about God's little g in this psalm? Well, you see down, if you're looking at Psalm 82, in verse 6 it says, I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. There's a way of speaking in the Old Testament context of talking about gods, the Elohim, being the, the princes of the land. And what we need to see is that God gives us insight about how to address them. The When they corrupt their authority. Now the classic text on authority in, in the New Testament was Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist 
will incur judgment. But is that where Paul left the subject? If you're looking at Romans 13, I hope you can see that's not, not so. It goes on. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. He's an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Of course, because this is scripture, I commend it to your perusal, to your steep study, to your prayerful study. But I would want you to see that there's a problem when rulers don't do follow this commission here. They don't, when you do good, they will punish you. They will, when you do good, you will not have their approval. You will have their disdain and wrath. If you do wrong, you will be, they will, might rejoice in you and find you to be their fellows. Instead of being a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, they are become their own servant and carry out God's wrath on those who do good or those who are innocent. The Psalms have much to say about that, about crushing the innocent, beating up the poor, pushing around the fatherless. Just an example if you want to turn to Psalm 10. Psalm 10 begins, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. The Psalms give us guidance on how to address this problem, that there are those, clearly from Scripture, people in authority are there because God allowed them to be there. And therefore, the the ideal structure is that those in authority keep order in society, Reward the good, punish the wicked. But what do you do when that's not, what's, that's not what is happening? Surely we're not supposed to pray that they succeed in not doing their duty before God. We don't, that is not the Christian's prayer that they... That oh the let uh, so and mayor so and so president so and so prime minister so and so have success in breaking the their very they're not just God's law but their own laws 
in bullying people, in showing favor to this group over here, but on the same issue, showing utter disdain for these, these people over here. We don't, we're not praying that they succeed in such wickedness. But further than that, we surely, we want to pray that those in power are, that they allow the people of God to worship freely and that they allow the gospel to go forth with success. Now we, of course, have to be content and, and continue to seek God's face when that resistance comes. And we know that there are believers across the globe who are dealing with circumstances so much more adverse to their, to their worship, to their preaching, to their evangelism, to just even being able to think according to God's word and to have a Bible and to be further instructed. There are places where even that is not allowed or is being hindered. We, we want to, from God, on the basis of God's word, to pray that he would, would see to it that there would be, be a reckoning with these people, that indeed we would pray that they would, there would be a godly influence around some of these rulers who aren't doing it right that they would stop resisting having a godly influence around them, that they would see that the church is doing good in the world and to stop hindering its work. So may God help us with changing it so we don't have a confusion about what it means to be an obedient citizen because surely we're not, when we're praying we're obeying, we're being a good citizen, it by no means means that we're going to be content and just go along when, thing, when things are turned upside down and the wicked are being promoted and rewarded and those who are doing good or those who are innocent are being trampled. And it's further important to notice, if, I, if you haven't seen this already in the Psalms, about how the Psalmist is talking about these oppressors, about the wicked men who are doing, who are lying in wait, who are oppressing him, who are oppressing the, the poor and the needy, and divide, um, having these wicked schemes unfold against, the, against people. An implication of that is that you, Christian, have enemies. And, of course, there needs to be more biblical emphasis on the fact that we have, we have to deal with the the heavenly powers, the, the, really the spiritual powers, the, the demons, and the way that they work against the gospel. But part of their influence is in this world, they are marshalling people together to oppose the gospel. And so, Christian, you have enemies. Don't think you don't. If you think... You are going to be, as a Christian, it's possible to just be at peace with everyone. And by mere sentiment, you're going to be the friend of all. You're quite wrong. That is not how the Bible portrays our situation. We are in a spiritual battle. And it will manifest itself even in daily life. 
Skipping ahead, I am more prepared to show you today, but it will just kind of blow things out of proportion. So I wanted to go on to really, and I hope you can enjoy this too, skipping ahead really to, to our, our comfort and the great heart of Christ. The Psalms give you prayers from our Savior's great heart. And as I, meant, as I mentioned before, we mentioned that cry of dereliction, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That opens Psalm 22. Well, we know that because that, that verse was taken on our Savior's lips in that very that weighty moment, as he was dying on the cross, it ought to signal to you that that psalm, not just those verse, those opening verses, but all of Psalm 22, have has deep uh, Christ-centered implications. And so later on in that psalm, as he turns from that bringing out his anguish before God, he's able to just be rejoicing at the end of Psalm 22. Starting at Psalm 22, beginning at verse 22. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard, and he cried to him. You see that this passage also is quoted in the epistle of the Hebrews, that what Jesus is able to do because of that great work he accomplished through his death, and being vindicated with his resurrection, that he is that he accomplished the adoption of all believers into the family of God, giving them the full privileges of being sons of God. And therefore he can say, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of that congregation, that great throng of people who have believed from the, the earliest times, from, from Adam and Eve up to our time. That... In that midst of that congregation, the Lord Jesus can rejoice and exult. And that you can see in him your anguish, your dereliction, your misery is sanctified. Because he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, But he is able to come to this from that place to this place where he is rejoicing in the congregation of the people that he has won from death. So the book of Psalms show you the prayers of Christ's great heart. And they show you also how you can rejoice in the victory of Christ. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 97. And rejoicing, you also make known the salvation found in Christ. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. 
Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Beloved, see that the need of the hour is prayer informed by scripture. Look to the divinely inspired prayer book, the Psalms. There you will find a way to express even your deepest pain, biblically. You will also learn how much God loves you, dear Christian. You will know about how to pray about those who oppress, especially when the oppressors are the ones who reward evil and punish goodness instead of promoting good and punishing evil. Finally, you will be able to rejoice in your adoption into the freedom of the sons of God and exalted brotherhood with the Son of God as he rejoices in you because he won you from death. Amen. All right, let's uh, conclude. Here. Just in this vein that uh, we've been speaking of the Psalms, there is a, a fine version of Psalm 12 in our in our hymnal, and I just have to remind myself where it is. <clears throat> 